Hey friends, thanks for joining us on the Equipping You podcast. Our prayer is that this podcast will encourage and equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead their churches well. For more information about the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 Alliance family, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is Season 10, Episode 7. And we're coming to you today from Columbus, Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Ohio, where it is illegal to fish for whales on Sunday. Where would you find whales in Ohio? Well, I don't know, but finally somebody has respect for the words day. I mean, that's, I, the, that's, that's the real point behind this. I think that's a whale in the tail, if you ask me. <laughs> I'm Terry, church ministries leader for the Alliance. Uh, and I am Alan, director of development for the Eastern PA District of the Alliance. Uh, I think there's whales in Lake Erie, surely, aren't there? Um, I, I am not aware of that. I don't think that's the case, Terry. The I, Cuyahoga River? Yeah, no, not there either. Uh, okay, um, well, okay. we'll find them somewhere. Anyway, it's great to be with you. And uh, today we're going to be talking to Dr. Scott Rehm, our Alliance pastor in Somerset, Pennsylvania, in the Western PA district, right along the Turnpike. Shout out to PA. Yes, shout out to PA. And uh, Scott has uh, developed some stuff that's really helpful for pastoral health. Which, uh, would you call that an important subject? No, matter? that's uh, really, that's immaterial. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, pastors never have. Yeah, pastors are always the epitome uh, of health and strength and vibrancy. They never struggle. Yeah. Why would we need an episode like this, Terry? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to go ahead and do it anyway. All right. Just if we in have case. to. I mean, jeez. Okay. Just in case. Okay. So uh, I think you're going to appreciate what Scott has to share, some good insights and some good tools that are available to uh, all of us. So grab yourself a bubble up soda. Bubble up soda. Bottled in Sandusky, Ohio. How about that? Kind of like a seven up or a Sprite, as I understand it. Grab yourself a bubble up soda. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast our good friend Scott Reem. Scott, thanks for being here. Hey. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So uh, we like to get to know our guests and allow our listeners to do the same. So tell us a bit of your life story, how you came to faith in Christ, and how you wound up being an Alliance pastor in Somerset, Pennsylvania. Well, Terry, my, my journey began on a, on a dairy farm in the middle of uh, western Pennsylvania. And uh, I came to faith as a child. Um, I went to a small little country church, and I remember very clearly they had a painter at the time that came for an evening and was sharing the gospel message and as he painted and told the story of jesus my heart was so overwhelmed with his love mm. that i wanted to go forward and receive him in, in faith but that evening my parents um, thought i was too young didn't think i fully under could understand the message of christ so it, it landed me a private message with the pastor after the service and uh, i found out later he said to my parents if God tugs at his heart and he wants to go the next night, you let him go. Yeah. And uh, the next night he was painting, and man, my heart was overwhelmed with the love of Christ. Yeah. And I remember walking to that altar, altar and receiving him. Yeah. Wow. Praise God. That's beautiful. Praise God. Love it. And then at age 12, I remember I was, at a, I was at a church camp, and I remember kind of a surrender experience where I said, God, 
whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to do that. Um, I kind of said that in my heart response, but my mind still had another plan. Uh, I, I went through high school, graduated, went off to college, studied business in college. And my plan was, God, that prayer that you asked me to pray and I surrendered to you, I will, I will uh, fulfill that by making lots of money, working uh, and owning a business and giving you any, any money that you desire from me. Uh, but between my junior or freshman and sophomore year in college, I heard God clearly say, Scott, I want more than your money. I want your life. Yep. Mm, yes. And uh, I came home from uh, uh, an outing that I had that summer when God just brought me to tears. Uh, Missy and I were dating. That's my wife now. And I said, uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm not going to go back to school and study business. Well, I ended up, I continued to do that. But I said, God's calling me into ministry. And she started to weep. And she said, uh, when she was a young girl, God took her to the altar and told her that she was going to marry a pastor. Wow. And she was going to uh, be a pastor's wife. That's a so story. She kept those all those years that we dated. And at that point, uh, that's finally when she shared that with me. So uh, I knew I was going to go to seminary. Uh, so we got married between my junior and senior year of college. We moved from uh, eastern Pennsylvania, then over to Ohio to uh, attend seminary. Uh, a non-aligned seminary, a Church of God General Conference uh, uh, seminary. And uh, while I was there, uh, I said to my wife, um, there's a pastor that used to be at the church where she grew up, which is the Somerset Alliance Church, a man by the name of Jim Vandervoort. Yeah. And he served here for 20 and a half years. He performed our wedding. And I said, why don't we just live 20 minutes away from the seminary, attend his church, and we can learn from him. And uh, ironically, we moved in an August in September, their assistant youth guy left, and I was hired by October. Wow. And <clears throat> that started my connection with the Alliance. Yeah. After seminary, uh, we were open to going anywhere, but God clearly opened that door, and we came to Somerset, and we've served here for 24 years now. Fantastic. Wow. That's Fantastic. great. Love to hear it. That, that thing where you negotiated with God about being a businessman and giving money sounded really familiar in my life, and it didn't work out too well for me either, so... <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you guys aren't the only two that have a story like that. Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Scott, you know, a question we love to ask people on our podcast is to find out what leaders have been influential in their life, uh, whether it's your personal life or your life as a pastor. So tell us about a couple. Yeah. There were two pastor gyms that were very, very impactful in my life. The first pastor, Jim, um, I, I came to know him when I was about 15 years old. He came to be uh, the pastor of our church. And what this first Jim did for me, he believed in me when I was young. Yeah. Um, when I, nobody else really looked and, and looked for young people, he saw something within me and he provided opportunities for me to succeed, for, provided opportunities for me to fail. He encouraged me. He cheered me on. I remember many times just going out to the church. He would listen as I would talk and ramble and tell stories. And he would uh, give me opportunities to place me in positions of leadership. So that was the first Pastor Jim. Yeah. Uh, and Love then there that. was a second Pastor Jim. Um, pastor Jim was the pastor that I just mentioned that I served with for three years in Bowling Green. And then it's a unique story. I came to Somerset. And uh, about seven or eight months after I came to Somerset, he came back to Somerset. So I worked for, with him for three years in Bowling Green, 
and then eight years, my first eight years, well, almost my first eight years uh, here at Somerset. And this second Pastor Jim, he taught me so much about working with people, hmm. loving them, guiding them, listening to them. He taught me about seeing beyond the current situation and, and what's going on right now to dream about what could be. Um, I remember in some of those difficult years that I served with him, uh, he had a phrase that he would tell me about dealing with people. Uh, and you know, in ministry, there are good people and there are bad people. There are easy people and there are hard people. And he would say, Scott, in ministry, the biggest thing I can tell you is you need to have a heart like Jesus and a hide like a rhinoceros. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good word. So uh, a few years back when you were working through your doctoral studies at Alliance Theological Seminary, you chose the topic of pastoral health, avoiding pastoral burnout, and uh, chose that for your dissertation. What was it that kind of stirred that choice, motivated that choice in your heart? Harry, there were a number of motivations uh, that did that. First, um, there were two times that I almost walked away from ministry. Um, the first time, I was about year seven or eight into ministry. Um, I was working as, a, as an assistant pastor here, overseeing a number of leadership things and meetings and working with Christian education and doing music. And I was on the preaching and teaching rotation and we were trying to push change. And it just seemed like my schedule became absolutely overwhelming. And it became this extremely difficult time in ministry. We had a young family. Uh, I had uh, three kids, I believe, at the time. And I remember taking two weeks of vacation and feeling such a relief from just not being in the demands of ministry. And when we returned from vacation, I remember sitting on the floor um, with a, a couple of my children. We were playing. And my wife simply said to me, are you ready to go back to work tomorrow? And I began to weep uncontrollably. Wow. So uncharacteristic of me at the time. Now I can weep at the drop of a hat, but so uncharacteristic at that time of me. And all I could do was utter the words, I don't think I can. Missy had no idea, but I was secretly at that time doing research, uh, discovering what additional education that I needed to become a mortician. There you go. Seems kind of funny now, but the thought Th was... Those people are easier to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You got the phrase. That's exactly what was going to my mind. Oh, Sometimes that's a dead, dead people Terry. might be easier to work with than people that are alive. Yeah. Yeah. Holy um, cow. Wow. I was able to recover from that situation, brought balance back into my life and ministry. A lot of that had to do with scheduling and balance. Sure. Um, but the next time was about uh, three to four years into my role as lead pastor here. And I believe God gave me a very, very clear direction um, through scripture that he was going to give growth and advancement during that year. Uh, I saw a pattern in scripture of planting and then cultivating. And in year three, there was this reaping process. We did the work. We, we were working on a building project. We came out of that. And I said, God, I so see what you're going to do in this next year. Um, but 2011 was anything from what I expected. We had we experienced 22 deaths that year, wow. two in our family and 20 in the church. Wow. Wow. And uh, I got to the end of that year feeling so emotionally distant from people. My family noticed that something was wrong. Um, the, the church people really didn't know. I was pretty good at hiding that. Um, 
but I would get done preaching and all I wanted to do was exit, not interact with anybody and just walk right home. I'm pretty much an extroverted person. And I started to say, something is wrong with me. What's going on? And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but God brought me through a place of, of healing more emotionally this time uh, from those deaths. Um, uh, he, he brought me to a place of healing and recovery and back into uh, a ministry again. Fast forward from that, a few years after that, uh, I was working with international workers, building partnerships with some of our partners on fields. And I was seeing a number of these fields and, and individuals, missionaries that were landing on these fields and they were lasting four terms and then they would not return. And, you know, a one, a one termer. And I began to ask what's wrong, what's broken in our system? What's wrong um, with, with these ministry leaders that they're serving for a short period and then they're leaving. And about that same time, I was sitting at a Dexcom meeting. Um, we were discussing another person that exited ministry because of poor choices, because of conflict in their church. And our DS said out loud, when is someone going to solve this problem? And instantly something clicked within me. Yeah. It was as if God said, Scott, this is your focus. You will tackle this issue. Mm, amazing. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So we got to tell us about it now. So tell us about your research uh, and, uh, you know, how many people were you surveyed? What kind of questions did you ask to get at the heart of the matter? I remember receiving this survey, by the way, or spreading it out to our district or something like that. So, Yes, yes. I don't know if you, you've taken it yet, Terry. Uh, one of these days I'll get, you to, yeah. I'll get you to take that assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have taken it. I think we gave you yeah. the mailing list to the, the, the yeah. district. It might yeah. be scary the outcome if I take it. <laughs> so I, I started in, in my research, I started to go back and say, I don't want to just look at ministry burnout. I want to begin to understand burnout in general. And through this process of research, what I discovered is that back in the 1930s, um, the word burnout really wasn't identified, but people were, they were starting to see people who worked in a business or a factory for a long time. And then all of a sudden people started to walk away. And they started to dig into reasons why that happened. And they started to say, well, it was based on long hours or low pay or poor environments. And they started to talk about dropout. And that was kind of the introductory to burnout. And then it wasn't until about the 1970s or 80s that uh, a, a person by the name of uh, Dr. Christina Maslock started to believe that burnout focused more on the emotions um, than the situation that you're in. And really, she began to define burnout as a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduce, reduced personal accomplishments that occurred among individuals that were doing some kind of people work. Um, and she really started to say this idea of burnout was emotional overload um, and emotional exhaustion was really at the heart of what burnout was. To me, that was interesting because I thought, hey, working with people, that's really ministry people. That's what we do. We work with people. Mm -hmm. And then I found in the 19, around the 1990s, spiritual leaders started to pick up this idea of burnout. And they began to say, well, people in ministry, um, for people in ministry, the only thing that really matters in this is our relationship with God. And if our relationship with God is good and it's deep and it's solid, then none of that other stuff matters. The emotional stuff doesn't matter. The environment stuff doesn't matter. And they began to begin to classify burnout in words like spiritual drought or spiritual dullness. 
And I was, as I was starting to piece all of this research together, um, God started to put this thought in my head. I think ministry burnout is really maybe a combination of all these components, not one, but kind of all of them coming together. So I began in this research then to formulate a list of 15 factors, uh, factors that I discovered in other research of studies other people were doing to try to determine the cause of burnout. And a long story, I'll make very short, really, I took that and I created an assessment tool um, to measure um, and to see if any of these factors, these 15 factors or these three areas would rise to the top and I could see, hey, is this, is there one or two things that are really a cause of burnout for us? And for anybody that's walked through a doctoral program, you know, you kind of have to focus your group down as tight as possible. So my focus group became uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance senior solo or lead pastors um, serving in the United States. So I had this focus group take this assessment that I created um, and then also had them take uh, the leading burnout secular scale, um, which is the Maslock burnout inventory. And uh, when, I, when I received that back, I had about uh, uh, close to 100, about 97 uh, pastors took both of those assessments. I received them back and I started to correlate the results. And I was amazed at the results because instead of finding one or two leading factors for burnout, I discovered that the overall score, um, the three main categories, the spiritual, the emotional, and the external, um, and the sub 15 subcategories that I defined in burnout had a 97% or higher correlation um, with the Maslow burnout inventory. What, what that really meant was if the, if the leading secular scale said this individual is in burnout, then the assessment tool that I created also said that yeah. um, in all of the areas. Hmm. Yeah. And it, Terry, it was at that point that I said, God, maybe, just maybe you're doing something bigger than a doctoral program in this. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great thing, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you want it to you want it to be impactful. So from your research, what are some of the key reasons pastors burn out and perhaps even leave ministry? So I have I have six children and I found that every one of those children are absolutely different. Mm -hmm. They have the same environment. They have the same parents, but they're absolutely different. Um, And what I've discovered working with ministry people is that every ministry leader is absolutely different. And uh, ministry health and potential burnout, I discovered, can be measured. But ironically, I mean, it's really interesting that for every every individual, their scores are, are very different because they're unique. Their situations are very, very unique. So um, what I discovered is that we can measure burnout. Um, and if we can measure burnout, then we can catch burnout before it hits too deep. Um, so I really started to say, OK, how do we begin to measure not just burnout, but how do we measure good health? Because that's the good side. That's what we want. How do we measure good health? And how do we know on the positive side if a, if a ministry leader is in good ministry health? And what I found was these three main areas, spiritual engagement, um, emotional stability, and then external factors. And uh, if you, if you want to think about it this way, uh, um, a spiritual engagement is the way that we're connecting with God on a, on a regular basis. Uh, emotional stability is the way we're connecting with ourselves on a regular basis. Uh, and then external factors is really the way that I'm connecting with the environment and the world around me on a regular basis. So I discovered that these three areas are healthy uh, and strong. When they're healthy and strong, it creates a sweet spot in ministry. 
So I, I like to think of three circles and when they're overlapping, where they overlap, there's a sweet spot that develops. And that spot may be very small, but as those three areas grow, uh, that sweet spot can become very big and it can be a, a major part of how we do ministry mm. and how we do life. But when one of those areas or more of those areas begin to weaken, uh, burnout has the potential to kind of sneak in uh, into our lives. Mm. So really, I, I, I began in my dissertation to define burnout as the state of fatigue characterized by ministering in an unhealthy environment with poor emotional stability and from a place of spiritual dullness. Mm. It's when those three are, are, are weakened, that's when burnout begins to creep in. Mm. Um, so really in those three areas, spiritual engagement, emotional stability, and external factors, for me, I said, we got to define that deeper than just three different areas. How do we define that? How do we even measure that? Mm -hmm. um, so in this research, I found five factors under each of those uh, three areas that we, we begin to measure, saying these are vital areas for us to be healthy or when they're weak, potentially lead us to burnout. So under spiritual engagement, we measure, measure things like spiritual listening. Uh, am I hearing from God on a regular basis? Spiritual freshness. Is my spiritual life, is it vital um, or is it, is it in a, dull, a period of dullness? Um, spiritual authority. Do I recognize who I am in Christ and the authority that we have in ministry to not do strength in our in ministry in our own strength, but in the ministry of the strength of the spirit? Um, things like spiritual purpose. Um, remembering the call that God has placed on us. And when we get into those difficult times, going back and remembering the details of that call so that the purpose and the way we're living um, drives us. And then another area in, that, in spiritual engagement, we call spiritual authenticity. Um, are we the same person in ministry and in church life as we are at home life? Mm -hmm. um, because when that begins to separate, problems begin to, to form. Yeah. So spiritual engagement, we measure those five areas. Mm. Um, and then under uh, emotional stability, um, we began to talk about things like stress management. How do we deal with the pressures of, of life and how do we manage those things of ministry? Um, we talk about unexplained sadness. Um, the fact is in life, in ministry, we get hurt multiple times. And either we're going to respond with anger or we're going to respond with sadness. And when that sits in, we get bitter or we get depressed. And uh, so we begin to talk about unexplained sadness and measuring that. The next two kind of go together. Um, we talk about inner circle support and outer circle support. Um, am I getting support um, from the inner circle of people? It may be my family, it may be my leaders, um, the inner circle, but also the outer circle. We need to have that balance back and forth. And then um, one that, that walked with me during that year of 22 deaths was that increased emotional distance. Am I experiencing a distance from people uh, normal than what I normally have? Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of measure that in our emotional stability. And then a couple additional things that were just external in life under external factors. We measure things like home environment. Is there a place of refuge for me uh, where I can recover? Um, and then we talk about marital, marital or singleness satisfaction. Um, if our marriage fails, um, uh, most likely our ministry is, is coming right afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, or if we're struggling in our singleness, sometimes that will lead into unhealthy patterns of life. Then we look talk about home dynamics. When I come home, does home drain me or does it fill me? Mm 
Mm. Um, and we measure things like that. And then the last two under that area, we talk about compensation. Um, am I receiving what I feel like I'm giving out? And we know ministry leaders, pastors specifically, <laughs> we're grossly underpaid. We know that. Um, but the things that I'm receiving in compensation, love and support and encouragement and pay and maybe housing and all of those things, uh, is it in comparison to what I feel like I'm giving out? Mm. And then the big one that I find with so many people is workload and rest. Am I taking a regular Sabbath? How do I balance that workload and rest? That's good. Good. That's good. That is thorough. It is thorough. Wow. Uh, so, you know, as the old saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So uh, how can pastors stay healthy and avoid burnout? Uh, and how can their lay leaders help with this? Yeah. Well, ministry leaders are terrible terrible at admitting that something's wrong <laughs> no <laughs> news flash <laughs> talking about other people oh yeah. <laughs> okay okay i got it okay <laughs> i think uh i think most ministry people would agree yes we're, we're terrible we're, we're to help everybody else we're to support everybody else we're to step into everyone else's problems um but uh we're terrible at admitting it and sometimes uh ministry leaders will recognize that something is wrong something may not be right but they can't actually identify what's going on inside of them. Um, that was my situation in both of those times. I knew something wasn't right. Um, somebody from the outside, most of the time it was my wife saying, something's wrong with you. And I would say, nothing's wrong with me. And she would say, something is wrong with you. Yeah. And I had to look inwardly. And I didn't know what it was. So I had to do some searching. Um, so let me just say, um, ministry leaders, let's, let's be real with each other. Let's just, can we just um, recognize that burnout is real, recognize that we walk through extremely difficult situations, and sometimes we just need someone to to bounce ideas off of and, and, and sometimes just vent to. If statistics are truly correct, some statistics will say that one in every five ministry leaders are in or nearing burnout. Done a number of assessments for even some of our uh, missionary fields, and I found that well over 50% um, some 75% are experiencing some of that burnout wow. as well. Yeah. So we need to be talking about it. Yeah. Um, it's not a taboo thing. It doesn't mean that my life is over, that I'm not effective in ministry, that I don't know what I'm doing. We got to start talking about it. Yeah. Um, that's for the ministry leader. Um, I think for leadership, uh, I think the big thing for leadership is let's not wait to, until it's too late. We got to start talking about burnout and we got to start taking those proactive steps um, to begin to help other leaders avoid that burnout. Um, I've been hearing statistics and um, you guys may probably know even more than me um, that the pull of uh, applicants or pastors or ministry leaders that are coming in to enter ministry is a whole lot smaller yep. than the rec than the job openings that there are. And uh, and I say leaders. Uh, if, if that's the case, if we're not producing enough pastors or missionaries, we got to close the back door. We got to keep them healthy. We got to keep them in um, and we got to take some proactive steps. We can't say, hey, when you need something, uh, you here, here's something that you can jump to, because for the most part, um, many times that's too late. They've already walked out that door and they don't return. So we got to take some proactive steps in talking about it, in measuring it and helping uh, people begin to understand truly what this is. Yeah. 
So you've developed a tool called Total Ministry Health Assessment. I have not taken the assessment, but I do have the coffee cup from Council. Yeah, it's got to be worth something. Uh, so I think you kind of broke down the categories. Anything else you need to tell us about that assessment? But especially, how can people access it, and what does it cost? Yeah. So uh, the, the assessment really gives uh, an individual, the person that takes it, a starting point. Um, it actually gives numbers to what's going on within their ministry health or potential burnout. As I said, many, many ministry leaders, uh, they're saying, starting to say something's not quite right, but I don't know what it is. Uh, some will maybe even take that step and go to a counselor or a therapist, and it may take months for them to dig open some of the wounds and what's under there. So what the assessment does is it it gives you a, a very a, a direct number system of here's what's going on within you. So you, when you finish the assessment, you receive a 22-page report that gives you your overall ministry score. Uh, am I in burnout or am I in good ministry health and where I am on that scale? It gives you a score in your three main categories, your spiritual engagement, emotional stability, and your external factors. So you can begin to say, okay, which one of these uh, three areas is causing me the most uh, difficulties right now? And you begin to begin to work on that. But then it also gives you a subscore for each of the 15 subcategories. Um, and then what we do is we give you a page of suggestions for you to begin walking through this process of recovery. Um, you can do it on your own. Um, you can do it with someone. Uh, we prefer you do it with someone, yeah, makes uh, sense. but that assessment gives you a starting point. It gives you an accurate reading of where you're at. So the assessment is, uh, uh, it's it's usually about $75. We're currently running kind of a, a special right now for $50, $50 just for ministry leaders. Uh, our heart is not to make money. It's just to help keep this thing going. Um, our heart is to see people take it and understand where they're at. So if they are in burnout, uh, they can come back to hell. Yeah, it's good. That'd be great. Well, uh, we certainly would be helpful to promote that, and we can certainly put that in the show notes as well uh, at the end. So if people in the future listen to this, they can find it a little bit more easier. So I appreciate that. So, and that, uh, website's, uh, that website's totalministryhealth.com. Totalministryhealth.com. It seems we'll pretty easy to remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as Terry mentioned and your story revealed, you're, you know, 26 something years into ministry or something like that. I was, if I'm keeping my numbers straight. Uh, so what would you say something to younger pastors or even, you know, not so young pastors uh, to give them advice to stay healthy rather than have to go down and then come back? Yes. Biggest thing I would say is don't walk alone. Hmm. Don't be the lone ranger. Um, you're coming into ministry. Uh, and many times as a young minister, you think, um, they're hiring me. I need to do it all. You don't need to do it all. Mm -hmm. um, you want to bring people around you. And even as you walk in ministry, you need to have someone that you can talk to. Um, like I said before, maybe even to vent to, to cry to. Um, uh, it may not even really to be to add, ask ministry advice, but just to have someone walk with you. So uh, I say to young people, get a ministry coach who can guide you through the deep waters of ministry. Um, statistics will say that 80% of college or seminary graduates will burn out or drop out of ministry within that first five years of ministry. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I say, don't let that happen to you. Ask your church leadership um, to invest in you enough 
to provide a ministry coach for you. Um, yep, fantastic advice. Don't walk alone. So uh, thank you, Scott. We appreciate your ministry at Somerset, but also that you're thinking beyond the boundaries of your own church and your own city and trying to really serve pastors across the Alliance. And uh, you've, you're providing a valuable service, and we're grateful for that and want to help promote it in any way we can. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yep. yep. Pleasure to... Absolutely. My privilege. Yeah, absolutely. So Scott's a good friend and uh, has provided some really good, uh, helpful tools for yeah. our pastors. What'd you hear that you uh, can hang your hat on, Alan? Uh, well, I, you know, we've had over the years, we've had quite a few of our guests remind us not to walk alone. And and that was his first piece of advice. You know, the, his assessment obviously is going to be a really helpful tool. Uh, and I really did like the idea of breaking it down into three categories because it's a lot of times pastors think they're good in one area, but they're neglecting the other two impacting yeah. them. And uh, but at the end of the day, if we walk alone, we're miss we're not only we're not only bad for us, we're kind of missing the point of being in the church. We are. We are. Yeah. So uh, isolation is a. Um, recipe for ministerial disaster. And, or you could uh, say isolation is a recipe for desolation. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate that. Yeah. A bit of poetry that you've provided for us. I'm, you know, today. I'm the poet and you're the songwriter. You should uh, you should preach sometimes because I think, you know, you're really good with words. Yeah, thanks. Maybe I'll give it a shot sometime. There you go. So, uh, next time on uh, Equipping You Podcast... Episode 8, we're talking to Marv Nelson just down the road in Indiana, Pennsylvania, and uh, be talking to him about uh, writing books in general by Alliance leaders, but also rewriting A.B. Simpson books uh, yeah. as part of that topic. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Looking forward to seeing you then. Yeah, Mar Marv's a good guy, and I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a delightful conversation. So we love having you as a part of the uh, podcast family. It's always great to be out in the Alliance family and you come up to us and say, hey, listen to every episode or this episode really encouraged me. That's why we do it. We love doing it, but we do it so that it helps equip our leaders out across the Alliance. So uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. For more information about this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.